0: This is Mark Kelly and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleeds.net This is probably the one single issue that's been the greatest challenge that people raise uh, when discussing or contending around the Christian faith. Why does God allow suffering? Uh, I'm sure, you know, in in your student context or whatever, it's one of those questions that comes back every time. Uh, For some of us personally, and I, I can relate this very much to my own direct experience, Um, when I was much younger in my faith uh, it was as if I hit a wall when I confronted this particular question in my own life why does God allow suffering and it was one of those things that at the time I found it I just couldn't press through it I felt as if my faith was in shatters I felt like I couldn't find a grip on anything it was like I was my faith was uh, seriously was just slipping away from me so much so that uh, it was one of the things that preoccupied... I, I actually felt like I was having something of a mental challenge as well because of this um, and the thing that stopped the slide for me was this uh, I went and I spoke with a lady who was the wife of the Baptist pastor at the church that I was at when I was at university and I just sat in the kitchen, and I, and I just—I was just pouring my heart out. I just said, "Look, I really don't know where where my life is going," um, and I was trying to unpack this issue. And she said to me something very wise. She said, "What do you know?" She didn't answer the question for me. She just said to me, "What do you know?" Um, and over the next few weeks through a process of just talking, as it were, within myself, I came to this one thing that I could say with certainty that I knew, and that was this, that Jesus had died. And that became the starting point for me in the recovery of my faith. And I'll say a little bit more about that as I go on, but I just want you to know this is coming from a very personal place, if you like, in terms of handling this particular question. But just to give it a little bit more uh, general background, (coughs) um, if I can kind of state the problem, if you liked, that the, as I said, this question constitutes perhaps the biggest challenge uh, that we face or the most frequently face when people are talking with us about our faith. suffering who it affects and to what extent appear entirely random and therefore unfair how can this possibly be reconciled with god's love and justice Uh, there was a french philosopher his name was voltaire that was his kind of nom de plume if you like um, in the 18th century on witnessing, there was an earthquake in Lisbon you know, the capital of Portugal in 1755 and something like 15,000 people died and an equivalent number were injured or uh, subsequently died as a result of this earthquake. Now um, this particular event seems to have been a, a, a particular point in history um, which was significant, I think, for us in the West. But the point being this, that uh, Voltaire, on witnessing this particular event, concluded God is either not good or he is not all-powerful. Either he wants to stop suffering but can't, or he could, but he doesn't. You get the dilemma, you get the challenge. Um... This particular event seems to have been significant historically because it came at a point at which, uh, you know, we talk about the, the Enlightenment of the 18th century. People in their thinking, certainly in Europe, were developing ideas around uh, a way, well, really, away from the sense that God was in everything, that God was sovereign, that God ruled over everything, to a more kind of humanistic view of life. And, this particular event seems to have happened and pushed people in, in terms of their way of looking at the world. It seems to have pushed people um, towards a more human-centered view of life. Anyway, um, so he states that problem, but it's not just a philosophical problem, is it? I bet if I was to go around this room... Most of us could actually talk about some personal setting in which we have experienced suffering or where someone close to us has actually faced those kinds of issues. It has many forms. um, Loneliness, anxiety, grief. They're examples of emotional suffering. We don't need to go very far, do we, to appreciate the impact of things like floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, you know, you name it. Um, physical illnesses, cancer and all that sort of thing. Uh, these are what we would call uh, natural suffering. And some people are victims of of what we would describe as moral suffering. They, they're the victims, if you like, of deliberate acts of other human beings, uh, whether it's things like um, sectarian violence or cyberbullying. You know, you, you could just catalogue all the different experiences that we as human beings go through. And our response to suffering, especially as Christians, uh, can be one of you know we can just be incredulous Uh, you know it just defeats our kind of how can this be or we find ourselves just angry or just tearful and uh, you know we sometimes will turn it back on God I've been there myself we turn it back on God as a kind of accusation why why did you let this happen Some years ago I, I sat with a, a college professor of mine and he'd heard the, the previous evening that his daughter in London had tried to commit suicide. Um, bless him, he, he was heartbroken, he was confused. To, to watch a loved one crash and burn like that is one of the hardest things, isn't it? For those of you who've been there. Who know what that's like, and it had brought him to the uh, the rock bottom uh, of his faith. He was a Christian, but he was look he was just in despair. Now, the pagan or the atheist really has no grounds for complaint. They've got no one to complain to. Uh, this is just the way that things are just life just stuff happens but for us we hold that God is good that he is just and that he reigns with power so why doesn't he intervene you ever had that kind of question you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah Yeah? (laughs) bless your heart But I'm wondering if we're actually asking the right question. Um, just follow this. Some of this is imaginative; it's not entirely. In fact, most of it is actually real. But um, when my when I was a kid, uh, my parents they loved me. Uh, they gave to me a, a safe and secure place where I could grow up. Um, where I could play where I could learn where I could develop and uh, like any healthy boy I was always at risk of uh, injuring myself not much change there then (laughs) Uh, I I can remember doing things like uh, building a slide off a wall Um, you know improvising and of literally falling off the wall and tearing the flesh off my one of my legs, you know, and thinking, well, it, that that did hurt. Or um, uh, honestly, if I could take you back to my childhood, it was a lot of fun, but there was a lot of scary things went on. Uh, we built a thing like a Roman catapult in the field at the back of our house, and I, this thing had some. It had some real tension. It some real welly, and. Uh, at one moment, this thing actually went off and uh, ripped right through the palm of my hand. Um, you know, uh, it it wasn't good. Sorry for any of those of you who are squeamish, but there was a lot of blood. Um, or uh, o- overturn go kart. Now I come from the south of England. We call them go karts. These bogies, they're called in Yorkshire. You know, these these kind. Of, yeah, yeah. Anybody else, you know what I'm talking about? You know these, uh, you get a set of old pram wheels and yeah, thanks Jeff, and uh, a plank of wood and you know, a few bolts and things and you screw this together with a bit of rope and um, crazily you hurl yourself down a hill on one of these things. Well, forever overturning, this. there was a particular stretch that we called Dead Man's Hill because it emptied into a road at the bottom but yeah, and you, you really, you had, to, you had to bail out. Before you got to the bottom, stupid, <laughs> stupid things we did, uh, or you know, just climbing trees. Anybody like climbing trees? Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, now it, it never occurred to me to ask my parents why they allowed me to go through the pain. It never entered my head. Uh, they were never neglectful. Um, they would encourage my childhood instincts for play and creativity. Sometimes they didn't know what I was getting up to, but um, what they did do was that they gave me space and they gave me the freedom to be me. Now, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to get this wrong. They did put in the boundaries. So I was never out late. Um, they did. Uh, they they helped me do things like, you know, assess the risk and develop the skills and all that sort of stuff. So I do remember uh, actually taking my cycling proficiency training at, at, at one point. Um, it still didn't stop me from crashing my friend's bike and ending up with eight stitches in my face. What they couldn't and what they wouldn't do was supervise every move and every moment that's unreal isn't it do you see what I'm saying do you see where I'm going with this Um, (coughs) I want to just change the focus a little bit we're still addressing this question why doesn't God intervene well I think we get a bit of a picture don't we from parenthood about where somehow that balance is. Let me give you another little scenario here. I want you to imagine that you're, um, do you know where Morrisons is, just down in the city center there? Just, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, imagine you're walking past Morrisons in, in the city center. Um, it's early evening, it's just past rush hour, it's dark. The roads are wet, but the rain has mostly stopped. Most of the commuter traffic has cleared, and the reflection of the streetlights is shining on the black surface of the road. And you come across uh, the scene of a traffic accident. Uh, a student has been knocked off her bike and is lying in the road. And nearby, there's a young man who's climbing out of a car, uh, obviously shaken. And distressed okay you've got that picture now I want you to cut cut the scene cut across town where you've got two um, police community support officers who are doing a routine patrol uh, around a business park in Holbeck and they catch the strong scent of cannabis in the air I mean, this is—it's you know—it's powerful. You can—you don't need to go out of your way to detect it. And they investigate one of the business units, only to find there's an industrial-scale cannabis farm in full production. So they go into the premises. Um, in one corner, they find a mattress and a, a duvet and hiding in one of the cavities in the building, they find a young Vietnamese man who apparently has been trafficked into the country and is being kept in conditions of near slavery. You Got that picture? Some weeks later, you read in the local media that a young man has been prosecuted for dangerous driving and driving while under the influence of cannabis, his victim, a young woman cyclist, is still in a coma in hospital, thought that possibly her injuries could have been avoided had she been wearing a cycle helmet. That same evening, you see a feature on the local news about police investigations. Into organised crime across the north of England involving drugs and people trafficking. Now just think about this as a set of related events. You, you see the connections I'm drawing between the two things. A dark, wet, but otherwise benign evening people making choices people exercising responsibility people using power now at which point if any should God have intervened I just throw that as a question I'm not giving you an answer I'm just saying if people say why doesn't God intervene where when how what what kind of world will we be living in were he constantly to be supervising every moment every action every human decision every choice okay just park those for a moment Uh, I suppose what I'm doing here today is raising lots of questions but helping us to think um, so that when we do find ourselves in the kind of conversations with people as we will we have some way of being able to play back to them some of the issues that they perhaps unthinkingly are raising but before we go any further let's just be clear about a few things number one suffering according to the Bible is alien to God's world not in heaven it wasn't in the creation so inherently suffering is alien to God's plan number two it will have no part in the new creation the new order that Jesus introduced through his resurrection and which will be consummated at his return in that day And I'm quoting from scripture here Revelation 21 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away so suffering was not there in the beginning and it will not be there at the end third thing suffering is mostly due to man's sin We know this from scripture. Death and disease entered the world through man's disobedience. Uh, Contemporary suffering is often due to the sin of others. So uh, I'm sure you could give examples as well. But uh, children abused by neglectful parents. Uh, Poverty and exploitation arising from economic injustice. Refugees fleeing the cruelty of war victims of drink driving or other reckless behavior it's all the consequence of man's sin and sometimes where we ourselves are on the receiving end it's because we misuse our own freedom result of our own selfishness or greed or lust or pride or bad temper and often others get dragged into the process so suffering and sin Are linked strongly together now here's a a thought which uh, CS Lewis introduced actually I think Um, he said that in part suffering can be said to result from the environment in which God has placed us Uh, it's a stable environment with its own laws neutral and fixed where we are free to operate as free creatures towards him and towards each other Free and responsible activity is only feasible without the expectation of constant interference. Shall I say that again? Free and responsible activity is only feasible without the expectation of constant interference, like my mum and dad. Yeah? You get what I'm saying? Now, it's a moot point as to what extent the fall had an impact in dislocating man from his environment and indeed in fracturing that environment itself so you know the whole question about (coughs) victims of earthquakes and tsunamis and etc etc all i'm saying is there there is a suggestion from scripture that the environment itself has been somehow brought under the thrall of man's sin. So when the Bible talks about thorns and the thistles, you remember, in Genesis? Um, in Romans, talks about the creation being um, you know, in bondage to decay. Uh, and when we, we read about the work of Christ in terms of reconciling all things, bring everything back into peace, into harmony with himself. There's a suggestion there that the very creation itself has been fractured as a result of. And that, now that actually, that is a phenomenal thing that we underestimate. I think the um, it's the the status, the standing of mankind that an what we do affects the whole cosmos but that is god's order of things you have made him a little lower than the angels we don't realize the dignity that god has placed on us but that's the implication of some of this stuff so um, what can be said is that man is out of sync with his environment so just one example deforestation leads to loss of water retention, ending up with catastrophic floods and landslips that engulf engulf whole communities. There's one example of where man and his environment have become somehow out of sync. And we've got this ongoing challenge, of course, of climate change and the effect that that's going to have literally on millions of people. Um, One final thing, I'm just talking through some of the things that we can be clear about from the scriptures. Um, One thing that you might ask about, what about judgment? Uh, The Bible does show how God actively judges people, communities, nations. Um, You know, you could probably rattle off a whole number of examples, things like Noah's flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the plagues of Egypt, Um, Achan and his family in Joshua 7. The destruction of Jerusalem and Israel's exile. These are all acts of judgment. But significantly, these events were always in response to persistent rebellion and sin. All I would say for us in relation to that is the need for us to exercise great care in jumping to this conclusion. you understand what I mean? Let us not project what we see in terms of external events and put behind it a motivation from God that this is judgment. Um, I'll contrast that with uh, the Hindu philosophy which actually says it's karma, you know, K-A-R-M-A as we would say in English, uh, where suffering is imputed as a direct result of wrongdoing in this life or some former life. In other words, you know, it's this consequence. You know, what you're suffering right now is a it's a consequence of your wrongdoing. That is a heinous and it's an evil doctrine. Uh, and it's one that is rejected uh, by the Bible quite clearly. Um, Job you know, you read the book of Job quite clear. Jesus himself, he said, No, this is not about judgment so all i'm saying is i'm just putting up a warning flag and say don't let us get into that territory so what i want to do is i want to just look at things a little bit more closely uh, and just say this firstly if sin was going to have such far-reaching effects why did god allow sin to enter the world in the first place it's kind of connected question isn't it to the one we're trying to address and the answer is quite simply love and we know don't we from our own human experience that love entails risk we were created to exist in loving relationship with God our father and with each other with other human beings but love cannot exist where there is not the freedom to choose it cannot And will not dictate terms if it does that is not love the problem is that we mess things up people turn away from God Uh, we have all misused this gift of free will we're not only free to turn away from God we're free to stay away somebody has actually said that is why hell has been called the greatest monument to human freedom and dignity That's a sobering thought, isn't it? So, first thing. Why did God allow sin? Well, the answer was it was simply the corollary to love. The possibility, the risk was always there. Secondly, the Bible acknowledges the reality of suffering. It doesn't dismiss or diminish it but it treats it as a real part of the human condition. And you read the scriptures, uh, Job, Jeremiah, the Psalms, any of the other prophetic books, they all deal with and recognize suffering for what it is. And they cry out with questions like, does God care? Has he forgotten to be merciful? And you sense that these Old Testament writers are all craning forward looking for the time when they are actually going to get their answer in the christ something in them is just drawing them looking for a a future day and this is borne out when we find that in the new testament the new testament writers for them this sense of despair and abandonment have given way to a joy and a confidence and a hope that even the greatest suffering cannot overwhelm them now what accounts for that shift I I find it in just preparing today and thinking about this myself I find it curious that the Bible doesn't actually address the question of suffering at least not in the way that we think it should you know we pose the question why does god allow suffering the bible never answers that question god has clearly got a different view of it somehow it acknowledges its reality not as a problem but as a fact it just says this is the way it is But then it does something which is absolutely show-stopping. And this really is where I want to come to the heart of what I want to say. My belief is that we will only see suffering from God's point of view when we look at it through the cross of Jesus. If you remember my own personal testimony, it was only when I came back to that point that was the thing that I could say with certainty this I know for a fact Jesus died and from then on God began to help me rebuild that place of faith in my life it's here that we come quite literally to the crux of the story what we know is that God planted the cross squarely in the field of human experience. We know that Jesus as a man died for our sins. He died to take away the pain and the penalty of our guilt. He died to overcome and disarm the power of death through his own painful and humiliating death on a cross. We know it occurred at a time in history. This was not a myth, as some writers, some theologians have said. It happened in real time, in a specific location on the planet. As Paul says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It happened by the sovereign plan and purpose of God. Jesus himself was totally given and submitted to the will of God in yielding to his own death. This was not an accident. This was planned and purposeful. Before this, Jesus had been rejected by his own nation. He'd been betrayed. He'd been denied and deserted by his friends. He had been brutally tortured, unjustly tried and condemned. You know, if you just think about the suffering that's associated with any of those things, uh, he'd been there, he went there. He entered into it. He was left exposed and naked to endure the vile hostility of the demon hordes. Who thought they had finally thwarted God's plan he endured the physical pain only to find himself staring into the abyss of alienation and rejection by the one who loved him as he Jesus became sin for us Let's think about this his pristine soul was polluted by every act of child murder every gang rape every war crime every lying deceitful and jealous spirit every adulterous covenant breaking heart every rebellious idolatrous attitude every angry vengeful wife-beating fist every act of mercy Refused. He became sin for us. As Isaiah says, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. What we're looking at is not one who is indifferent to human suffering or one who is incapable of doing anything about it rather he has identified himself fully with it by entering into it and through his sacrifice he has acted to address not just the effects but its root death is swallowed up in victory the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of the evil one that's 1 John 3 verse 8 so what about us how do we respond um, I'm inclined to call this, you know if you've ever been on the uh, the London Underground, you'll often hear over the um, speaker there, mind the gap. And I come back to what I was saying at the beginning, that we live in this somehow, this, this in-between time, this time between Jesus' glorious resurrection and enthronement, we... We affirm he now reigns supreme and we live between that and the time when we will see the kingdom come in its fullness. In the meantime, in this gap, he exhorts us to be of good courage, to be overcomers. The implication of that is there's stuff still to overcome, to fight the good fight, knowing that that God as Paul says in Romans 16 the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet this is the gap that we're living in and this was the note that changed from the Old Testament from the Old Testament Saints and those New Testament believers it went from this minor to a major key they faced suffering Hardship, discipline, but they exhorted one another to patient endurance with Jesus as their example. They knew that God was able to use their suffering. He used it, first of all, he used it to draw them to himself. How many of us have experienced hardship or challenge and only afterwards seen the hand of God in making himself more intimately Or more deeply known that was certainly my experience when I was in that hospital in France and I've actually you know I thought about this my holiday was cut short the fun I was having went out the window I ended up injured and yet I thought God I wouldn't change it because of what I discovered of God's presence God's life in that season that followed but we've all got stories like that God is able, God was able for those New Testament writers to to shape them in maturity. Now, this is an extraordinary thing. It says, doesn't it, about Jesus himself, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That's Hebrews 2. And he was made perfect. That's to say he was made more mature or complete, equipping him to become the source of our salvation. That's Hebrews 5. God uses suffering to shape our character and to develop our faith. It's why James can say, Count it all joy when you endure many trials. Quickly, just three, three images which the Bible uses. A father disciplining a child, Hebrews 12. Developing character or, or holiness, Uh, Peter uses the image of the the metal worker refining the metal, um, producing faith. Or as Jesus himself talks about the gardener pruning the vine, producing fruitfulness. All of those pictures are about something that is going through this process of pressure and change and of being cut back. Uh, this is not a very popular kind of sermon, um, but those New Testament writers, they also knew that they were called into service. They were being called into the same mission as Jesus and that suffering went with the territory. We don't hear that very often, do we? Jesus made it abundantly clear that any follower of his was not going to get an easy ride so listen folks if you have signed up as a Christian and somebody has told you once you know you give your life to Jesus it will all be fun and rosy uh, I'm sorry you've been given a false gospel because Jesus himself said that unless unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies there's going to be no nothing to show for it unless we're prepared to embrace a dying there's going to be nothing to show for fruitfulness in our life he also said didn't he the servant is not greater than his master if it happened to me it's going to happen to you so listen folks you can expect if we're going to pursue this mission of bringing this kingdom of god to the world in which we live it is not going to be without its cost we will find that we're going to be up against it um but be encouraged guys Uh, paul's letters are full of it where he, he speaks of his sufferings being for the sake of those he is serving clearly believing it was for their profit I'll give you a number of scriptures for that. I won't do that now, but it's there. You go and read read them. He's he is he's saying, you know, what these sufferings it's for your glory. So I'm happy to endure it. And at the same time, he has this crazy perspective on what he's going through, and you can read the catalogues there in in the Bible. He talks about them as these light and momentary troubles. What a perspective that is. So, when we suffer, we'll not always be able to work out why. That's the lesson of Job. Uh, he asked God, but God never showed him. He simply revealed himself as sovereign, who Job could trust with his life. Use the opportunity to ask God. Ask yourself what God is doing through a season of suffering, and in it, hold on to your hope draw near to God and he will draw near to you life is both a battle and a blessing but keep your eyes fixed on him the hope of glory and when we see others suffer God calls us to compassion don't don't be a job's comforter if you know what I mean by that don't go speculating about sin uh, or the lack that God is seeking to address. But come alongside. Extend the heart. Weep with those that weep. Carry the burden. And recognise that we too are to fulfil the mission of Jesus. And there's I, I don't know how we get balance into all this. But I firmly and utterly believe that where we come across these challenges in the world, that God has given us his spirit to preach this good news, to see the frontiers of the enemy kingdom pushed back, to see the demons dispossessed, to see the sick healed, and to even to see disordered nature itself coming under his lordship I believe that I believe that we will see that increasingly as this kingdom comes and finally I just want to say this I'm thinking now about um, why we you know, why are we raising these big questions? I don't know if you found this helpful. I hope so. Um, but it's part of our extending Jesus, reaching out to people who don't know him, helping them, introducing them to who he is. But I want us to always bear in mind that there is there's a power encounter Every time there is a true turning to God, and it's the power of the gospel. It's not only a turning from sin to Christ, but from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Satan's hold is broken when people come into this kingdom, that the reign of Jesus is extended into a person's life there is a rescue that takes place from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son of god that he loves i mean what a transition what a what a transfer that is isn't it that's just it's just outstanding the devil is obliged to relax his hold on somebody's life And the superior power of Christ is put on display. Praise be to God.